Storm chasers are an unusual kind of person. They go into storms instead of away from them. They look for them. And then when they find them, they drive sometimes miles, hours in order to get there. And then at the same time everyone else is rushing out, they rush in. They seem to thrive in chaos they did not create. They are subject to the same forces that everyone else is. The same things could happen to them, but they're not intimidated by these things because they know that storms, as random and violent and lawless as they seem, have patterns. They're subject to laws that are larger even than nature. And so with that knowledge, storm chasers go into a storm without becoming part of the storm, and they know how to navigate the waters. I think the kind of person that is called for by the day in which we live is a kind of storm chaser. It's someone who rushes into chaos when everyone else would rush out. Someone who thrives on chaos they did not create. Someone who knows how to navigate a storm without becoming caught up or part of the storm because they know that as bad and as random as certain events seem, those events are themselves subject to laws that are larger than even nature. And so they're not intimidated. And yet they're not overwhelmed. So what follows in this story is a parable of both what is happening, I think, in our culture and the kind of person that is needed in the culture. We are sailing along on a pretty uneventful, ordinary day when suddenly, um, out of nowhere, a violent wind kicks up and starts throwing everything into confusion. The disciples or the leaders of our culture start paddling furiously for shore, but it's clear pretty soon that they won't make it, and so they start bailing water. They're overwhelmed by a storm. Meanwhile, the religious people are in the boat, thank God, but they're in the back underneath, sound asleep. And the culture turns and moves to the back of the boat to wake the religious people up. And they say, don't you care that we're going to drown? It's a rhetorical question. What they mean is, why are you not afraid like the rest of us? 
Don't you realize that what happens to the rest of society happens to you? Don't you understand that you are not immune to tragedy just because you're a religious person? Do you have anything of value to add to the situation? Or are you more like the band on the Titanic who plays nearer my God to thee while the ship goes down? Are you more than a chaplain for the dying? Do you have any pull? Do you have any power to do anything about the situation that we're in? So the religious people wake up and they move to the front of the ship and they stretch out their hands and this is the moment of truth. This is where everything about our religion will be decided. Do you or do you not have the power to do anything about the storm? That's what they want to know. They don't want to know what you believe. They don't want to know where you go to church or what you've read. They want to know, can you do anything about the mess that we're in? None others are needed right now. Deep thoughts are luxuries that you have in calmness. But do you have any chops? Plant as many churches as you want to plant. Make as many disciples as you want to make. If they can't do anything about the storm, well, then they're not much more useful than anybody else. They're overwhelmed, aren't they? You can get any degree that you want to get. Get four or five if you want. Write a couple books. Build a big business. What we want to know is can you do anything about the situation that we're in? That's how we'll be remembered. What we did to the elements or what we did to the people in the elements. Because you see, there is a storm around us and sometimes there's a storm in us. And there's times when we can do something about the one around us, but we can always do something about the one that is in us if we know what we're doing. Now, I think that our culture is right now headed for inclement weather, should I say? It seems to me that in the last few weeks, we've gotten news of disease, of terror, of natural disasters. And these things are upsetting the American soul. In fact, almost everything is upsetting the American soul. 
One writer for the foreign policy has said, we have crossed the line from national security to national insecurity in that more of our policies today are shaped by fear than they are shaped by vision. We are literally moving away from things more than we're moving toward them because we're captured by the fear that something we can't control might happen. And what will we do then? And I think this is perfect weather for someone who is full of God with divine power to do something to the elements, or if we can't, something for the people that are in them. Because that's what they'll remember. Let me tell the story more slowly. Built around one character, Jesus. Pay close attention to Jesus in this story because you realize as the storms in our culture start to blow, you are, every one of us, either part of the storm, you create the chaos by what you say and the way that you react, or you are part of the disciples who paddle frantically for shore, reaching for things you know about and what you can do, or you are Jesus. You know how to be in something without being overwhelmed by it. You are one of the three all of the time. The disciples are headed out on a voyage, an otherwise uneventful day, when suddenly, according to the Gospel of Matthew, a furious wind comes down that tunnel that is famous around the Sea of Galilee, the mountains there are over 2,000 feet and they crash directly into the sea and they form kind of a tunnel. And as the wind starts to blow, it channels into that tunnel and it hits the sea with such sudden force that it literally overwhelms everyone on it. It does not matter how seasoned you are, you're overwhelmed suddenly. And this is what happens. The waves start to crash over the top of the boat. The boat is starting to fill with water. Now the boat, to the best of our knowledge, is only about 26 feet long. We're not talking about a hundred foot or more voyager. We're talking about a glorified boat that you'd put on one of the reservoirs. In the back of the boat is Jesus, in the front, paddling and bailing water are the disciples. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. Mark says, resting on a cushion. The boat is only 26 feet long, and he's in the back. And in spite of all of the noises and the clamor, blaming each other, yelling at each other, he is sound asleep. Why is he sleeping? Well, you say, it's because Jesus is God 
and he knows what he's going to do. But do you not think that Jesus is also man? Isn't what's happening to all of the other humans in the boat likely to happen to him? Does he not realize that as the son of man, he cannot play by another set of rules? He is bound to the same limitations. What happens to us happens to him. How can he sleep underneath all of this frantic activity? Why you say it's because when he was a human, he was asleep and therefore subject to the laws of nature. But when he wanted to calm the storm, he pulled off the human hat and put on the God hat, and that's when he calmed the storm. Well, that's a good answer, except that in the fourth century, the church decided it was heresy. The church, otherwise, it's a perfectly fine answer. In other words, if you say that what happened to the humans could not have happened to him, then you have elevated his divinity and minimized his humanity. If the only power he can allude to is divinity and nothing else, you need to re-examine your doctrine of Christ. So I raise the question again. If you are as human as the rest of us, and you could die in a moment like the rest of us, why are you not afraid that you're sleeping in a boat only 26 feet long under the chatter tells me this is almost by design. So you need to let that image marinate in your mind for a while. This is what it is to be immersed in a situation and yet not overwhelmed by that situation. Could it be that the powers Jesus calls on are within him? They are beliefs and convictions that run to the marrow in his bone that God is in control of everything and that all forces answer to God and that this God is active in the world right now. I remember when I was 15, 16 years old, I went to a Christian rock concert and it was outside in the fairground and we were 15 minutes into the concert and suddenly the, the heavens opened up and there was a torrential downpour. People immediately started covering their heads with their coats for as long as they could and then they just got up and started to leave. The band reached for all of the electrical equipment and started pulling it back under the pavilion. And just before everyone decided that the show was over, the leader of the band come out from under the pavilion, stood in the rain and said, before we call this off, can we just ask God to do something about it? I'm 15, 16 years old and I thought, I got to see this. And he held up his hand and he said, 
Father, we are trying to have an event here to glorify your name, but find ourselves in circumstances we cannot control. All things are subject to your will, including this, that you've told us to ask, and so I will. Will you please stop the rain? And people, it was like somebody turned the faucet off. Boom, just like that. I'm not lying. I'm 15, 16 years old, and my estimation of God went way up. He can do anything. But that's never the question, is it? The question's never, can he? The question is, will he? Does he want to? That's what's called into question in the boat in the middle of the storm. Is God active or not in this situation? This week, we find ourselves just pushed from every angle. A disease we know almost nothing about is spreading in ways we can't understand. The storms are coming out of the sky and wiping out whole sections of a city. Terrorists with agendas of their own seem to just reap havoc whenever they want to. But the question I'm asking you is, is God in control or is he not? That's what's up for question right now. Is God active in this world or is he not? Jesus said, my father is always working. Not some of the time, always working. And I am working too. Can you believe that? Or was he just talking religion? Is he right? Which source do you call on? What Jesus said or your experience? Once Jesus holds out his hands and speaks into the storm, Note to self, he calms the storm before he talks to the disciples. He brings his power to bear on the elements. He does something about the situation. He's not a chaplain. He changes the outcome of something by the power that is in him. And then... When the storm is calm, he turns and says to the disciples, why are you afraid? That's a silly question, you say. Because we just... No, he didn't ask you what you were afraid of. If he asks you what you're afraid of, you will always tell him about the elements. You'll tell him what's happening or what might happen. But when he asks you why you're afraid... He's cutting to the heart, isn't he? You can't answer why with an appeal to the elements. You have to talk about the convictions that are in your soul. What do you believe, really? 
Not what are you supposed to believe. What do you actually believe right now in the storm? I love Luke's version of the story. Luke says, Jesus said to his disciples, where is your faith? Implying that the problem wasn't that they didn't have any, but that they'd misplaced it. Fear is the result of a faith that has been misplaced on something that is not greater than the storm. Where did you put it? What are you trusting? In whom? And is that really that reliable? So I mentioned uh, four other questions that I've designed um, kind of around this question of Jesus. Why are you afraid? And here's why. Because I think tomorrow when you go to work or you're with your organization, you already know people that live in this state of nervousness all the time. It's like a low-grade infection, isn't it? Their entire soul seems fragile to you. And I thought maybe you might use the question, why are you afraid, not what are you afraid of? And then I thought we might organize other questions around that one. And so I'm going to put those on the board. And um, today when you leave... Um, I've actually taken these questions and put them on a card that we're going to hand you as you go out the door. Underneath the questions that are on the card are six or seven other scripture passages that I think can help you as you try to navigate yourself first and then the people you work with through these pretty rough times. I wish you would take this home, put it in your Bible. Tomorrow morning before you go off to work or what you've got to do, uh, maybe you'll practice some of the things we talked about in the fall. You'll take your pen or you'll look at the passage. You'll read through it very slowly. You'll circle key phrases, underline things that stand out to you. You'll make one or two sentence comments in the side. And then as you meditate on these passages, maybe you'll also think about the character of God. What kind of God is he? What does he know? What can he actually do? How close to the situation is he? Am I going to trust what he said or what I think is true? And as you meditate on these questions, my prayer is that it would be the scripture that would console you and not just the advice from someone else. The questions again is what is the nature of your storm? All storms are unforeseen, unfair, uncontrollable, and unwelcome. A big one can alter the rest of your life. You'll never be the same. Where is God and what is he doing? 
you might say to yourself, well, I don't see him anywhere active because your God should always act a certain way. And when he doesn't, you confuse that with no activity at all. Look again. God is always at work somewhere in the chaos. Where or in what, in whom have you put your trust? And how reliable is that? And finally, what has God promised you that maybe you forgot? And what would it look like for you to believe that? Well, I do believe it, you say. No, you agree with it. When you believe something, you put weight on it so that if it fails, you fall. So what risk are you taking with the promise God has just made you from the word. What would obedience look like?